Chapter Eighteen of Lorna Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Harris. Lorna Doone by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Eighteen: Witchery Leads to Witchcraft. Although well nigh the end of March, the wind blew wild and piercing as I went on foot that afternoon to Mother Meldrum's dwelling. It was safer not to take a horse, lest, if anything vexed her, she should put a spell upon him, as had been done to Farmer Snow's stable by the wise woman of Simon's Bath. The sun was low on the edge of the hills by the time I entered the valley, for I could not leave home till the cattle were tended, and the distance was seven miles or more. The shadows of rocks fell far and deep, and the brown dead fern was fluttering, and brambles with their sere leaves hanging swayed their tatters to and fro with a red look on them. In patches underneath the crags a few wild goats were browsing, then they tossed their horns and fled, and leaped on ledges and stared at me. Moreover the sound of the sea came up and went the length of the valley, and there it lapped on a butt of rocks and murmured like a shell. Taking things one with another, and feeling all the lonesomeness, and having no stick with me, I was much inclined to go briskly back and come at a better season. And when I beheld a tall gray shape, of something or another, moving at the lower end of the valley, where the shade was, it gave me such a stroke of fear, after many others, that my thumb, which lay in Mother's Bible, brought in my big pocket for the sake of safety, shook so much that it came out and I could not get it in again. This serves me right, I said to myself, for tampering with Beelzebub. Oh, that I had listened to Parson! And thereupon I struck aside, not liking to run away quite, as some people might call it, but seeking to look like a wanderer who was come to see the valley and had seen almost enough of it. Herein I should have succeeded, and gone home, and then been angry at my want of courage, but that on the very turn and bending of my footsteps the woman in the distance lifted up her staff to me, so that I was bound to stop. And now, being brought face to face, by the will of God, as one might say, with anything that might come of it, I kept myself quite straight and stiff, and thrust away all white feather, trusting in my Bible still, hoping that it would protect me, though I had disobeyed it. But upon that remembrance my conscience took me by the leg, so that I could not go forward. All this while the fearful woman was coming near and more near to me, and I was glad to sit down on a rock, because my knees were shaking so. I tried to think of many things, but none of them would come to me, and I could not take my eyes away, though I prayed God to be near me. But when she was come so nigh to me that I could descry her features, there was something in her countenance that made me not dislike her. She looked as if she had been visited by many troubles, and had felt them one by one yet held enough of kindly nature still to grieve for others. Long white hair, on either side, was falling down below her chin, and through her wrinkles clear bright eyes seemed to spread themselves upon me. Though I had plenty of time to think, I was taken by surprise no less, and unable to say anything, yet eager to hear the silence broken, and longing for a noise or two. Thou art not come to me, she said, looking through my simple face as if it were but glass, to be struck for bone-shave, nor to be blessed for barn-gun. 
Give me forth thy hand, John Ridd, and tell why thou art come to me. But I was so much amazed at her knowing my name and all about me, that I feared to place my hand in her power, or even my tongue by speaking. Have no fear of me, my son, I have no gift to harm thee, and if I had, it should be idle. Now, if thou hast any wit, tell me why I love thee. I never had any wit, mother, I answered in our Devonshire way, and never set eyes on thee before, to the furthest of my knowledge. And yet I know thee as well, John, as if thou wert my grandson. Remember you the old oar oak, and the bog at the head of Exe, and the child who would have died there, but for thy strength and courage, and most of all thy kindness? That was my granddaughter, John, and all I have on earth to love. Now that she came to speak of it, with the place in that so clearly, I remembered all about it, a thing that happened last August, and thought how stupid I must have been not to learn more of the little girl who had fallen into the black pit with a basket full of whortleberries, and who might have been gulfed if her little dog had not spied me in the distance. I carried her on my back to mother, and then we dressed her all anew, and took her where she ordered us. But she did not tell us who she was, nor anything more than her Christian name, and that she was eight years old, and fond of fried batatas and we did not seek to ask her more, as our manner is with visitors. But thinking of this little story, and seeing how she looked at me, I lost my fear of Mother Meldrum, and began to like her, partly because I had helped her grandchild, and partly that if she were so wise, no need would have been for me to save the little thing from drowning. Therefore I stood up and said, though scarcely yet established in my power against hers, "'Good mother, the shoe she lost was in the mire, and not with us, "'and we could not match it, although we gave her a pair of Sister Lizzie's. "'My son, what care I for her shoe? "'How simple thou art, and foolish, according to the thoughts of some! "'Now tell me, for thou canst not lie, what has brought thee to me?' "'Being so ashamed and bashful, I was half inclined to tell her a lie, "'until she said that I could not do it, and then I knew that I could not.' I am come to know, I said, looking at a rock the while, to keep my voice from shaking, when I may go to see Lorna Doone. No more could I say, though my mind was charged to ask fifty other questions, but although I looked away, it was plain that I had asked enough. I felt that the wise woman gazed at me in wrath as well as sorrow, and then I grew angry that any one should seem to make light of Lorna. "'John Ridd,' said the woman, observing this, for now I faced her bravely, "'of whom art thou speaking? Is it a child of the men who slew your father?' "'I cannot tell, mother, how should I know, and what is that to thee?' "'It is something to thy mother, John, and something to thyself, I trow, and nothing worse could befall thee.' I waited for her to speak again, but she had spoken so sadly that it took my breath away. "'John Ridd, if thou hast any value for thy body or thy soul, thy mother or thy father's name, have naught to do with any dune.' She gazed at me in earnest so, and raised her voice in saying it, until the whole valley, curving like a great bell, echoed, "'Dune,' that it seemed to me my heart was gone for every one and everything. If it were God's will for me to have no more of Lorna, let a sign come out of the rocks, and I would try to believe it. But no sign came, and I turned to the woman, and longed that she had been a man. 
"'You poor thing with bones and blades, pails of water and door-keys, "'what know you about the destiny of a maiden such as Lorna? "'Chillblains you may treat, and bone-shave, ringworm and the scaldings. "'Even scabby sheep may limp the better for your strikings. "'John the Baptist and his cousins, with the wool and hyssop, "'are for mares and ailing dogs and fowls that have the jaundice. "'Look at me now, Mother Meldrum, am I like a fool?' Thou art, my son, alas, that it were any other. Now behold the end of that, John Ridd, mark the end of it. She pointed to the castle rock, whereupon a narrow shelf, betwixt us and the coming stars, a bitter fight was raging. A fine fat sheep, with an honest face, had clumb up very carefully to browse on a bit of juicy grass, now the dew of the land was upon it. To him, from an upper crag, a lean black goat came hurrying, with leaps and skirmish of the horns, and an angry noise in his nostrils. The goat had grazed the place before, to the utmost of his liking, cropping in and out with jerks, as their manner is of feeding. Nevertheless he fell on the sheep with fury and great malice. The simple weather was much inclined to retire from the contest, but looked around in vain for any way to peace and comfort. His enemy stood between him and the last leap he had taken. There was nothing left him but to fight, or be hurled into the sea five hundred feet below. "'Lie down, lie down!' I shouted to him, as if he were a dog, for I had seen a battle like this before, and knew that the sheep had no chance of life except from his greater weight and the difficulty of moving him. "'Lie down, lie down, John Ridd!' cried Mother Meldrum, mocking me, but without a sign of smiling. The poor sheep turned upon my voice, and looked at me so piteously that I could look no longer, but ran with all my speed to try and save him from the combat. He saw that I could not be in time, for the goat was bucking to leap at him, and so the good weather stooped his forehead, with the harmless horns curling aside of it, and the goat flung his heels up and rushed at him, with quick sharp jumps and tricks of movement, and the points of his long horns always foremost, and his little scut cocked like a gun-hammer. As I ran up the steep of the rock I could not see what they were doing, but the sheep must have fought very bravely at last, and yielded his ground quite slowly, and I hoped almost to save him. But just as my head topped the platform of rock, I saw him flung from it backward, with a sad low moan and a gurgle. His body made quite a short noise in the air, like a bucket thrown down a well-shaft, and I could not tell when it struck the water, except by the echo among the rocks. So wroth was I with the goat at the moment, being somewhat scant of breath and unable to consider, that I caught him by the right hind leg, before he could turn from his victory, and hurled him after the sheep to learn how he liked his own compulsion. End of chapter 18 Recording by Michelle Harris